Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Yours Truly podcast. This is episode 171 of the show. My name is Claire Tuning. I am your host, resident, registered dietitian. What else am I? Business owner, lover of playing August by Taylor Swift on absolute repeat until I near run it into the ground in this month of August. How are you? I'm so glad you're here joining me for this episode with a very special guest who I will be introducing more fully here in a moment. If you're new around here, welcome. I'm really glad you're joining us. Uh, I've been a little less consistent uploading episodes this summer. To be quite honest, I have felt pulled away from the microphone. Podcasting has not felt as exciting as it has to me in the past, but we're still here. We're chugging along. About one episode a month is what you can expect from me from now until things change in the future, until you start getting episodes more frequently, which I cannot promise when that will be, but at least for now on today's episode, I'm glad you've hit play. We're here nearing the end of summer. Like I said, August has been on repeat in my speakers, just living for the hope of it all over here. I have also spent a lot of the summer dabbling in the world of mocktails. I love a mocktail, super refreshing, especially in the heat of the summer. And speaking in the heat of the summer, by the way, if you hear a humming sound in the back of my recording right now, that is the AC unit that sits on the other side of my office wall. Like my computer, my whole recording setup is set against a wall that goes to the outside of my house where the AC units live and they are really trying their best to keep us cool. So apologies if you hear a little bit of background noise. I hope you can bear with me on that. But back to my mocktails, I've really been enjoying creating a lot of recipes. I did a TikTok series in the month of July, so if you were on board with me for that, I hope you enjoyed it, but it's been really fun to explore satisfaction through drinks and pleasure and fun through drinks that don't involve alcohol. I know a lot when we talk about intuitive eating, a topic that comes up frequently is exploring fun and satisfaction and pleasure throughout your food choices. So it's been really exciting to dabble in the world of drinks and bringing some of those same principles into our cups. I say our, maybe you were following along with me. Even if you weren't, I've actually compiled a book of these mocktail recipes. There is 15 of them total, 11 that I filmed, and you can find on my TikTok feed if you want the video representation of these recipes. But if you're someone who likes recipes written down, you like to keep them in one place, you like to you know look at the cute recipe and read a nutrition fun fact that is included with all of these recipes, then I have this ebook for you that I I've made 
11 again that I filmed, four recipes in there that didn't make it to film, but they are delicious nevertheless. So if you'd like to claim your downloadable copy of that ebook, it's 24 bucks. If you were lucky enough to grab your copy in the first weekend that I launched the ebook, you got it for 12, it was 50% off, but now it is 24, so it's still super cheap. There are the recipes. Again, all of those have a nutritional fun fact to kind of highlight one of the main ingredients in the recipe and how that is a tasty, you know, great ingredient for our bodies. It's all in there. So if you'd like to claim it, you can do so by clicking the link in today's show notes. I'll link that immediately. You can also find the link to the ebook hanging out in my bio on any social media platform. But let's talk about today's episode. I am interviewing the one and only Lindsay Everhart. She is a new friend of mine, now a colleague. She is a therapist. So to give you a little bit more info on her background and her areas of specialty, I'm going to read off the bio that she has provided me, and then I'll give you a little teaser as to what we get into in this conversation. Lindsay Everhart is a licensed clinical social worker in Virginia and a licensed independent clinical social worker in Washington, D.C. Lindsay received her master, master, good words, master of social work from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She is the owner of Everhart Therapy, which is a private practice in Alexandria, Virginia. Lindsay specializes in treating eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, anxiety, trauma, relationship issues, identity, self-esteem, and depression. She began her career as a public health and psychology researcher exploring ways to improve physical and mental well-being on a systemic level before becoming a therapist. Her experience as a therapist spans many settings and levels of care, including inpatient, partial hospitalization, intensive outpatient, and college counseling. Lindsay's passion for treating eating disorders, mood disorders, and trauma was born out of a deep appreciation for the power of the brain-body connection. She is committed to helping clients strengthen both physical well-being and mental well-being while working towards healing. So like you saw in the title of today's episode, this conversation is about how we can work to dismantle fat phobia and the ways that it shows up in our day-to-day lives, especially if you're someone who is listening in a smaller body like myself. It's a really interesting opportunity to explore ways that we can advocate and dismantle fat phobia that um, our friends, our colleagues, our peers can face on a daily basis. We also talk about connecting to your coping skills. Lindsay shares with us the idea of glimmers and what that means. And we end our conversation talking about some lessons we can learn from dogs, which is a little series that Lindsay talks about on her social. And if you're a dog lover or an animal person in general, I hope you will look forward to that part of our conversation. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Lindsay Everhart. Hey, Lindsay, welcome to the Yours Julie podcast. I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited to be here, Claire. Well, if it's okay with you, I prepped you for this right before we hit record, but we're going to go straight into it with some this or that questions. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. Ice cream cone or a snow cone? This is very appropriate because we're in the heat of summer as we're recording this. So what would you prefer? Ice cream cone, 100%. Absolutely. 
sometimes even like an ice cream cone bowl. I've been getting into those recently. I don't know like if the you've waffle seen cone bowls. Yes. So it's yeah. both, you know, it's a little bit better. I feel like when we're in the, the heat of the summer to prevent drippage uh-huh. and maximize your ice cream experience. Um, <laughs> but I'm really big on texture. So I like having the ice cream cone combo. For yeah. Sure. Snow I cones know. are great in their own regard though. I don't know if, um, so you're in the Northern Virginia area, as you know, I used to live there as well. And I did not know of any Rita's up there. Are there Rita's mm-hmm. near you? Like the, the chain, like the custard ice place. Have you heard of a Rita's by you? I have, but I went to Rita's back when I was living on the coast of North Carolina. So I'm okay. not sure if they're up here. Well, that would make sense on the coast of North Carolina. I feel like they're very coastal. I know they have them up in um, like Maryland, maybe Jersey as well. But the reason why I bring them up is because they're like the fusion of ice Mm. and custard, kind of like that ice creamy. So I find that's the best of the both worlds when it comes to the creaminess of the custard and then the flavor of the, the ice or not that it's a snow cone, but you know what I mean? I can totally see it. That does sound like a good combo. Okay. Next question. Dogs or cats? <laughs> Definitely dogs. <laughs> These are easy. I feel like we'll, you're kind of hitting some we'll, softballs We'll here. put a pin in that one because I do want to come back to a dog related question later, but I, I figured that would, that would be your answer. Um, okay. Next one, sandals or sneakers? Like if you had to pick one shoe to exist in, what would you prefer? Oh, that one's really hard. I think weirdly I think I'm gonna have to say sneakers which might be sort of shocking for those that know me because I did grow up on the coast um but I feel like sneakers are more practical they stay on your feet I agree I am a tennis shoe person 10 out of 10 I always have them on like even when I I live on the coast currently even when I like go for a walk on the beach I am wearing my tennis shoes. I'm like, it's uncomfortable to walk barefoot. I hate it. So I'm always wearing tennis shoes. Not if I'm going for, you know, a beach day, but if I'm going for a walk, then I'm always in a, the closed toad. So I'm with you. Totally fair. Pop-tarts or bagels? Mm. Hmm. I feel like that's highly mood dependent, mm. but I'm going to say bagels because that's what I have in my house right now. <laughs> you're like right now in this moment it's in a bagel I'm it's a bagel I agree with you that it's very mood dependent but if I had to pick one I would always rather have bagels on hand it's something about they just feel mm. like heartier more satisfying I don't know maybe it's just personal preference there yeah there's a lot you can do with a bagel too so that is true and you can have sweet bagels and savory bagels absolutely okay final question online shopping or in-person shopping? Mm. I think online with the caveat of I have to be mentally prepared to be willing to return items because <laughs> that's certainly part of the experience. But I, I don't know. I find it a little bit more calming and relaxing to sort of like casually browse while doing something else. Whereas if you're in-person shopping, you're fully committed to the activity. Yeah. I have a really hard time sending things back from online shopping because, you know, you really build your hopes up like this is coming. I'm going to love it. And it's always such a letdown when you have to like repackage it. And, you know, if you order from like Amazon, I have to take it to the Kohl's, you know, in the nearest shopping center to drop it, to take it back. So yeah, totally. a little bit of a trade-off there for sure. 
Yeah, maybe sort of item dependent too. Like yeah. pants, can't do pants online. Not not possible, um, but can maybe get away with like shirts or accessories for sure. Yeah, or like, um, I don't know, I think of those restock items that you might buy from like a Walmart or a Target, like shampoo, <laughs> you know, yeah. stuff like that, easy to do. Toilet paper. Yeah, toilet paper, <laughs> stuff like that. Well, uh, now that we've done a little bit of this or that, and we've gotten to know you in a fun way, I'd love for you to share just a little bit more about who you are and what it is that you do. You can take 30 seconds to answer or 30 minutes. You can take the whole time, whatever feels best for you. Okay. Sounds great. Um, So I am a therapist who specializes in working with eating disorders, disordered eating, body image, lots of things in that realm. Um, And I'm the kind of person who knew for a long time that I wanted to be a therapist. I would say maybe since my mid-teen years, but actually didn't set out to work with eating disorders. Um, My background is in public health and psychology research. I was really interested in... um, sort of a macro approach. I'm a social worker by trade. So we have kind of macro and micro. I don't know if you've heard of that before. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for those who might not know, macro is sort of like the people who are working on systems change, who work in large organizations, maybe who work with policy. And then micro is sort of like what Claire and I do on a day-to-day basis, working with individuals. Um, And when I first started out, I wasn't sure where I wanted to land, but basically working within the systems and doing this higher level research really led me to feel like I would have the best impact on an individual level. And that's sort of where my heart is. Um, So Ended up working in a treatment center after graduate school and loved everything about working with eating disorders because there's really that brain and body blend where we see that healing needs to occur on multiple different levels. I also love the aspect of my work that's really collaborative. So a lot of times we have, our goal is to kind of have a complete team where we have the therapist, the dietitian, um, psychiatrist, and then a medical doctor. Mm-hmm. And that's when I have the most fun is like getting to work with other like-minded professionals towards this like common goal. Um, I also work with other kinds of mental health issues. So like anxiety, trauma, identity exploration, things like that. That's, um, that's cool that you didn't necessarily know that you wanted to end up in the eating disorder relationship to food population, but you, you had a go of it, it seems, and you liked it. It's like you had the direction of, I want to work in the world of helping people. I want to work in the world of therapy, but then you've niched down in a way, or you found your population as you've worked with different people and as you've tried different things. That's cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that I had sort of diverse backgrounds. Like I worked in a college counseling setting. I also worked in a hospital and then I worked um, in a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient program for eating disorders. And I feel like it allowed me to be really certain that this is what I want to do. I'm now in solo private practice in Old Town, Alexandria. Um, And what I love about private practice is that I'm getting to see people for a longer period of time and kind of on the continuum of recovery. So really getting to go from with some people from like start to a place where they no longer meet the criteria for an eating disorder has been so rewarding Um, and getting to look at all of the things that have happened that have led to the eating disorder. Because as you know, and as I know, like it's not really usually about the food, it's usually about a lot of other things. So yeah, really I think that's why um, why when we're looking to support people as, as well, it's important to have those professionals 
in different areas and we can come from different angles, right? You come from the therapy, from the mental health angle, right? Targeting those behaviors. I come from the the food angle. How are we nourishing our bodies? How are we eating enough? And it's like this collective whole of all of these really important pieces that we need different people to help support the, the individual through. Um, one thing on your website. So we always, you know, me, my teammate here at yours, Julie, we always do our research, <laughs> the people we bring on the show. So we were reading a part of your website where you were discussing your values as a professional. It's always a really big green flag for me as a fellow professional. Whenever I see another professional talking about values work, like this is what I believe and this is what I stand for. And you mentioned having, we'll, we'll pull a quote here from your website, a deep passion for dismantling fat phobia and changing the way that the medical community and society as a whole approach body shape, weight, and size. So can you talk a little bit more about what led you to this passion? I know you've talked more about what led you to the community of like food and eating disorders as a whole, but what about this part of it specifically sparked that passion or that interest? Yeah, that's a really wonderful question. I will do my best to answer it in a succinct (laughs) way, but I make no promises. Um, So as I mentioned, there are a lot of different paths to becoming a therapist, but I am a social worker. And what I love about social work is that we're looking at the person in the context of our society in their environment and their family system. And there is a real recognition that the individual person, you know, isn't, didn't do something wrong. There wasn't some fault of their own that caused this presentation to occur or caused them to need to adapt in ways to survive. And so as I started working with eating disorders, I realized that basically a big component of this is social justice work as it relates to fat phobia. Um, so when I talk about fat phobia, which I'm sure a lot of your podcast listeners are familiar with, mm-hmm. but kind of thinking about the fact that people in fat bodies or in larger bodies face discrimination based on their size. There are a lot of negative assumptions made about people. It impacts the way that they can move through the world. And there are, you know, the systems are not designed to support them. And that's a real problem. That's really messed up. And I think our medical community has a really long way to go in terms of recognizing um, that all bodies deserve to live in this world and have access to resources and support and be treated with kindness and compassion. Um, so I work with a lot of clients that um, have eating disorders and are in larger bodies or in bodies that are not considered like quote unquote underweight. Um, And the reason why I bring that up is because I think that some of this stigma gets in the way of people getting treatment Mm -hmm. because they think, oh, well, my view of someone with an eating disorder is someone who looks, quote, looks like they have an eating disorder. And really that's just totally wrong because eating disorders can look any kind of way. They can happen in all kinds of bodies. Um, And so it's, it's been really rewarding and really incredible to work with clients who are like, I'm struggling, but I don't know if this is a real thing for Mm -hmm. me to be able to be like, absolutely, this is real. And your body size does not determine whether or not you have an eating disorder. So there's that like one-on-one part. And then there's the part of like working within our bigger society, which is like, we need to stop the fat phobia, or we're going to continue promoting eating disorders. Like you cannot, I feel like you can't work with eating disorders without 
trying to dismantle fat phobia. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. I agree wholeheartedly with everything that you said. Um, I find it interesting. Your last name is ever heart wholeheartedly. (laughs) There we go. A little bit of wordplay, but yeah, it reminds me of what you were talking about earlier in the episode when you were talking about your background, like before you specifically got into this, you were looking at this from both the macro and now the micro perspective. And you brought that in specifically when you're talking about working to dismantle fat phobia, not only in the one-on-one setting with the clients you're working with, but also as a whole. Um, It really stood out to me when you first started to answer that question, you were talking about the importance of alleviating blame in these instances, right? It's not any one individual's fault. It's not their choice that they have been led to certain, you used a really wonderful term. I'm sure this is a therapist term, but um, like adaptive behaviors. Is that what you called it? I think, I think that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Adaptive behavior. Yeah. And, um, in a way that's a lot of what, um, I, as a dietitian, and I know a lot of other dietitians in this space work with their clients on when it comes to like the dieting cycle and removing blame there, right? It is not your fault as the individual that this diet didn't work out long-term it was never designed to work in the first place. And it leads us to this behavior with food that is very cyclical, that can really lead to a lot of negative behaviors, both physically and mentally, the longer that we're stuck in that cycle. So I find that to be a really big overlap. It sounds in the work that I do and the work that you do with clients as well, working to remove that sense of self-blame for being in this position with food, body, whatever it might be. Yeah. I love that connection that you drew. And I think it's interesting because it's both not someone's fault that the diet doesn't quote unquote work and also not their fault that they want to diet, which is really confusing. Yes. Um, Cause I'm really firmly like anti-diet, anti-intentional weight loss. And I recognize that like having more privilege is desirable. And we Mm -hmm. live in a world right now where more privilege is granted to people in thinner bodies. Mm -hmm. So I also never want to place shame or blame on people that are really grappling with this idea of like, how do I accept me for me when the world isn't there yet? Yeah. It's kind of like the both and statement, right? It's like, yes, this diet was set up to fail in the first place. And that's not your fault that the desire for the hopes that that diet will like promise, if that makes sense, like what you were hoping for at the beginning, what you were promised. It's also totally understandable why we have those desires, especially as you're mentioning someone who lives without some of the privileges that I might have, that you might have, that other people might have as well. Um, On this topic of dismantling fat phobia, since this is a big value of yours, um, what might you be able to share with our listeners if they are looking for just some things that they can do again on that micro level, like within their personal lives, both you know, with those around them, with their self, like if they're looking to incorporate some of this into their life, what might some ideas or thoughts be? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. There are a lot of different directions I could take this. Um, Some of the first things that are coming to my mind, one big thing would be like, if you live in a thinner body or a a non-marginalized body, that it's really important to form deep 
authentic relationships with people of diverse body sizes. And it's important to um, like learn about the lived experiences of others while not requesting that they educate you. Um, and that's a big thing that we think about when it comes to lots of different privileged identities as someone who is white, I don't ever wanna put a person of color in a place of having to educate me. It's my job to do that work on my own. Um, so similarly in that way, but making sure that our connections are diverse and that we're surrounding ourselves with like people with different lived experiences, I think is important. And sometimes that can be hard to access, maybe even in your day to day, depending on where people are at. And so one thing that I recommend is just like broadening your exposure to a variety of body shapes and sizes, even on social media, I think can be really helpful. Um, I have a list of a lot of um, providers and creators, and I'm sure you do too, Claire. And then, um, if you are someone who has privilege in terms of living in a non-marginalized body, really using that privilege to speak up when you hear someone say something that's fat phobic and not sort of staying silent and letting it happen and making sure that you're interjecting and saying like, you know, we don't know anything about that person's health based on their body shape size. Like we, we don't make assumptions like that, or we don't criticize other people's bodies. Um, sort of living by that rule too of, I don't know if you've heard this, but don't make a comment about someone's body unless it's something that they can fix in like two seconds. Yep. So mm -hmm. like pulling spinach from your teeth, mm -hmm. otherwise like zip it, none of your business. Um, so living by that yourself and then also helping others in your life become more aware. I would definitely also recommend um, engaging with materials that help educate you on how that phobia is really like, if there's no scientific basis on why being in a smaller body would be better. And that a lot of times being in a larger body is even like protective from illness and from early death. And so I think really educating yourself on those different um, ways that science backs this up so that when you're engaging in conversations with people, you're able to say like, well, here's what the science says and here's what we know to be true. So those are just some ideas off the top of my head. Anything you would add Claire? Well, I was going to say I echo a lot of what you said, especially seeking out those resources that are based in education and not asking those in your life to do that for you, especially if they are the ones on the front lines living with having to deal with this stuff every single day, right? So doing what you can on your own time. How can I, you know, help this individual? How can I make my interactions with them feel safer, like feel more uplifting. Um, also, I, I really appreciate what you said about um, like broadening your circles, not only in person, but also since we're also connected on the internet now, like consuming content from individuals with a, a wide variety of lived experiences. I know you mentioned you have some resources for people on like where to look. I don't know where your resources live, but I can adequate plug where, uh, where mine live in the highlight reel of my profile. I have something called either more resources or additional resources. So if people want to pause the podcast now and take an action step, they can check there. I don't know where your lists live. If you have some out there that are public facing. Claire is more on top of it than I am. I've had it in my brain. I'm like, <laughs> add the resource page to your website and I still haven't done it. It's on my to-do list. Um, okay. <laughs> but I have the note in my phone and maybe what I can do is send it to Claire so that she can cross-reference and see if she has 
similar providers, different providers to totally. make sure that we're doing a knowledge share. Yeah, that's, um, I would love that if you're, you're open to sharing, maybe I can update my list and maybe we can say to our listeners, uh, when this comes out, or maybe if you're listening a month or a couple months after this comes out, maybe you can pop in on Lindsay's website and see, <laughs> see if the resources yeah, yeah. page is up yet. And if it's not there, email me and be like, Hey, you didn't put it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yay. What are you doing? Um, yeah, but I, I really appreciate all, um, all that you had to share on that topic. Something else, since we're on this topic of social media, something that you talk about, I've noticed on your page is using glimmers, you call them, um, as a coping skill. So can you share a little bit about what glimmers are and how we can use them? I'll totally let you, you take this where you'd like to go. Yeah. Uh, so glimmers are conceptualized as part of certain kinds of trauma treatment where we think about a glimmer as almost like something that is opposite of a trigger. So with a trigger, we think about something that elicits a trauma response, has negative thoughts, feelings, um, maybe even images, memories associated with it. And a glimmer on the other hand is something that brings us a sense of grounding, a sense of peace that uplifts us. And something that's been helpful in some of my work with clients who are struggling with um, past history of trauma is thinking about the parts of their life. It can be really small, tiny stuff that really makes them feel like good and whole and safe. Because what you're trying to do when working with trauma initially is to create as much of a sense of safety as you can when appropriate and when it is actually safe in order to kind of like dive in and do some of that underlying processing. Um, So I think what you're referring to maybe is is one of my posts was actually made by one of my clients and posted with permission Uh where they shared kind of some of their own glimmers. Um, But I think it can be a really unique way to kind of start shifting your thinking to like, well, if I'm triggered by things, like how am I also like positively uplifted by things? Yeah. Kind of a simple way to put it. I, I love that. And um, I'm assuming you got the, the title of that from like a glimmer of hope or like a glimmer of sunshine. I don't know if that's a saying that people say, but something where it's like you're catching a glimpse of something that has the warm fuzzies or this makes me feel good or this makes me feel grounded rather than the opposite. Is that where you got that from? So it actually, the word glimmer is actually embedded within a certain type of trauma treatment. And I am spacing on the specific name right now. Um, well, your guess or search is much better than mine because <laughs> I do not know. Yeah. So it's actually rooted in polyvagal theory and oh, trauma cool. therapy. We just did a quick Google. We love, we love a quick Google. <laughs> um, and polyvagal theory has a lot to do with, um, your vagus nerve, and I won't get too sciencey, but basically um, a form of trauma treatment that helps people regulate to stay within a window of tolerance that prevents them from being kind of like on the hyper aroused or the hypo aroused end of the spectrum, wanting you to live in this more regulated state. So glimmers came from that. Um, and I'm not formally trained in polyvagal theory. It's one of those like pulling little um, aspects of lots of different treatment into my work, but that's not one of the ones I'm formally trained on. That's um, that's cool to know a little bit of the history of where that comes from. And if someone is hearing this and they're really liking this idea of finding their glimmers, so to speak, might a helpful question to ask me, I'm just going to throw this out there because I'm trying to piece together in my brain, like, 
how this could even look for me, but would an appropriate question be, you know, what are a couple of things in my life that when I do this thing, when I think about this thing, it helps me to feel grounded, uplifted? Like, is that a a question to help us discover some of those glimmers? Yeah, I think that could be a good question or even having like, I don't know if people use paper anymore, but (laughs) a little piece of paper or your notes that open on your phone and kind of going throughout the day and saying like, what did I feel best when I was doing? Or was there a moment of my day that really stuck out to me as being kind of like a moment of peace or something that made me really happy? Um, This is sort of a cheesy example. Um, But for me, one of those things is fireflies. I Uh really love them. I think they're so magical. Um, And there was a point in my life where things were really hard and I was going through a lot. And whenever I would encounter fireflies, I felt very sort of like enchanted by them, more at peace, more grounded. And it was something that I could take time to be like, just going to like stand here for a few minutes and kind of like watch them fly around and do their thing. Um, Only seasonally, unfortunately, but that's sort of an example of it It doesn't have to be something really monumental. It could be like um, loving the way that dog paws smell, right? They kind of smell like Fritos. Uh-huh. I've seen I've seen videos on that. I I can't say I'm you know out here you know sniffing a dog's paw, <laughs> but I believe you. 100%. I have sniffed my dog's paws. I will admit to it. <laughs> we appreciate uh, your your openness and honesty here. You heard it here first. Yeah. We are dog paw sniffers. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, that's a, a really cool idea. And I, I love the, um, the example of the fireflies. I know you've mentioned, I think a couple of times now you grew up somewhere around like the coast of North Carolina, or you have some family who live there. Yes. Yes. Down in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay. I can imagine the fireflies, especially seasonally, like about now, July, August at night are beautiful there. So it kind of makes sense. That's where that comes from. Um, Lindsay, final question that I want to ask you, I guess you provided me with the perfect segue since you were talking about dog paws but I do have a question about your dog or dogs. I know you have two, um, but I, I love on your profile, you have, I think a handful of posts, maybe like two or three now. I don't know if this is a series you plan on continuing, but it's these lessons from dogs. And Airly, I think is your dog who you have featured so far, correct? Yes. That's correct. Yeah. So could you, and I know this is a little bit on the spot, you can maybe pull one that you've already posted about, or if you have another one sitting at the top of your brain that you're willing to share, what is a lesson from a dog that maybe we could all take and hold on to leaving this podcast episode? Yeah. Okay. I have a good one. It's not, it's also not very succinct. I'm struggling with that today. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> no, uh, so my first dog, Early, is, um, she's not a rescue. I have had her since she was a puppy, but we recently rescued a dog that was a mom at a puppy mill. And she has a lot of trauma from her experience doing that and not having as much interaction with humans. And she has, we rescued her about five months ago. And I think a really good lesson, her name is Cleo from Cleo in this case, um, is that some people are worth trusting and that some people are worth sort of like going out on a limb for and trying to trust because like safety can exist. I think that dogs are just like so wholesome and beautiful. Um, 
in that they can go through really tough experiences and then still learn to love and trust and have a strong relationship with other dogs and with humans. Um, so I think there's a lot to be learned from this idea of like, things will get better. You can develop safe relationships with others. And we've seen her come such a long way in just these five months. Like we went from her shirking away when we would try to pet her um, to now she will willingly greet us. She Aww. like sleeps in the bed with us. Um, like it's been a whole world of progress. So a little cheesy for you all, but I think that's a good one. Lesson from a dog. I bet our listeners did not expect to get a lesson from a dog when they hit play on this episode, but we are here to surprise. <laughs> yes. um, it's it's funny as you're talking about lessons from dogs. I, I don't have a dog myself, although I do live with a dog. Um, my bestie and my roommate, she has a, an old Winston's like 10 or 11. We think she rescued him, but he's a Cocker Spaniel mix. And he um, recently had a surgery. So he's currently upstairs with a cone. So maybe Aww. the lesson from Winston can be some days you might have a cone on your head and some days you might not, but it'll all get better. <laughs> yes. I love that. Poor thing. I hope he gets the cone yeah. off. Yeah. He's, um, he's fine. He was, you know, sleeping it off, but, but he'll be just fine. Um, but Lindsay, it's been wonderful getting the chance to chat with you here today. I feel like we covered a variety of topics, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, all the way from snow cones to dismantling fat phobia to dogs, Frito dog paws. Um, If our listeners are looking to learn more about you, more about your work, maybe if they live within a state that you're licensed in, Virginia, I don't know if you have any other states as well and they want to work with you, where can they find more information about you and your services? Yeah, all of my information is on my website and it has my phone number and my email on there. Typically email is the best way to reach me because I'm usually running back and forth between sessions. Um, But my website is just everhearttherapy.com. But Claire can make sure that we get the spelling right because it's spelled H-A-R-T. And then I'm also licensed in D.C. So both Virginia and D.C. Cool. Well, that makes sense since you're right there in Old Town Alexandria, you're a stone's throw away. <laughs> right across the river. Yeah. yeah. And I'll be sure to have all of your info, like contact info, website listed in the show notes of today's episode in case someone wants to click over from there. Um, but again, Lindsay, thank you for your time. It was great chatting. Our listeners, that's all we have for you here today on the podcast. So we will sign off by saying yours, Julie, Claire, and Lindsay. And there you have it, my friends. That is a wrap for episode 171 here on the Yours Julie podcast with our special guest, Lindsay Everhart. If you would like to learn more about Lindsay, her services, give her a follow on social media. You can check all of that out via the links in today's show notes. If you are interested in claiming your copy of the Another Day, Another Mocktail downloadable e-recipe book, you can also do that via the link in the show notes. I hope you can virtually cheers me, maybe tag me at Claire Tuning as you make some tasty drinks to get you through the rest of this summer. As always, thank you so much for listening, tuning in to today's episode. If you like what you heard, it would mean the world to me if you could tap those five stars. If you feel inclined to leave a review, share what you love about the show, what you're learning, you can also do that if you are listening on Apple Podcasts. 
If you podcast elsewhere, like Spotify, SoundCloud, you can also take a screenshot of today's episode and share it to social media, whether that's a story or a static post. Be sure to tag me and Lindsay as well so we can say hey and thanks for listening. But that's all I have for you here today on the pod. I'll see you back here next month when we're in September. But until then, stay safe, take care, and stay nourished. Bye!